Hello, everyone, and thanks for listening. I'm Jeff Wagner, and as you probably already know, we're here to talk about the new album from Tim Bonus, Flowers at the Scene. It's out March 1st, 2019, and there's no doubt that all fans of Tim's work, uh, whether it be solo material, his work in No Man, uh, various collaborations that he's done, you know, fans of all that, I think we'll always be greatly anticipating new material from this singular and very exceptional artist. And we're actually here with Tim himself. How are you doing, Mr. Bonus? Um, I'm fine, thanks. Okay. This album was produced solely and entirely by yourself and Stephen Wilson. It was your first joint production in over a decade. I wonder when you and Stephen do work on a solo album, one of your solo albums, is there any special effort to avoid anything that no man would do? Like, is that in the air somewhere? It's difficult. I think that this became a No Man production because actually it was beginning to sound a bit like No Man in places. I mean, what happens is that with my solo album, Stephen's usually just on the mixing and he's done a fantastic job with the mixing, but he's been working from very specific orders that, that I've given. And this time I'd kind of um, written a lot of the music with somebody called Brian Hulse and we'd mostly produced it together and uh, there were a few tracks that I had very strong ideas about. Uh, the production on and Stephen got involved in the mixing but this time he did a few more things than mixing and so with you know maybe about half of the material it was becoming something slightly different texturally and while we were doing this I suggested that what he was doing was was as much production as it was mixing and he agreed and I think that because we'd started working on a new No Man project at the same time and we'd always envisaged the idea of having a No Man production team actually um, in the early days of the band, we thought it'd be quite interesting for the two of us to produce other artists. And as this album progressed, we we thought this would be almost a good start for an idea that we probably had about thirty years ago. What 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 about the album do you think was starting to sound like No Man? I hear just maybe little bits and pieces, and then naturally it always will go back to that somewhat, simply because you're you're fifty percent of No Man. But um, yeah. I'm just wondering if there's anything you can point out or if you just want to let that be a mystery for listeners. Yeah, well, there were three tracks for me that, that very much hinted at, at No Man. One of them was Not Married Anymore. One of them was uh, The War on Me. And another was um, a track which is an outtake uh, called Beyond the Firing Line. And these were pieces where Stephen changed the instrumentation uh, in a way that I felt um, made it closer to the No Man sound than it did the sound um, that we've been working on with the demos or um, the rest of my solo work. I think there's a kind of um, rich textural quality to No Man's work. And um, I felt a few of the pieces felt as if they had that atmospheric quality. And of course, as you say, I think blended with my voice, it's, it's always going to have that No Man quality. So there were a couple of pieces where I thought if we'd have been working on a new No Man album, these would have been great pieces for it and um as we've not worked together in that capacity since schoolyard ghost it was it was just nice having uh the creative input as well as the uh the mixing you never wanted this you had to resist Not married anymore You're not married anymore 
this album feels intensely personal. I mean, whereas your previous album was a, kind of a fictional story of an artist's rise and fall and his band Moonshot, uh, and of course all the questions and dilemmas and challenges and kind of disturbances that arose from the main character's career arc, and really kind of more, it was more about looking back on that. And whereas this one is a, kind of back to this more personal feeling thing. Um, is the mood and thematic substance of Flowers at the Scene a natural reaction in the opposite direction from what you did before? It was definitely a natural reaction. I mean, in certain cases, I was surprised with what I came up with. I mean, the title track, for instance, was a lyric I was not expecting to write. And um, it was a story that I just wasn't expecting to write. And, and there have been some nice accidents on the album since I've ended up in places I didn't expect to. And uh, the title track's one of them, Ghost-like, to a certain extent, is another, where they're almost like self-contained cinematic short stories with with quite emotional plot lines it's true um and what was interesting is that these pieces just developed as quite different musically and lyrically whereas with lost in the ghost light i think i've been working towards that with all of the inside out solo albums it was a theme that i'd wanted to write about for years and certain tracks ended up on abandoned dancehall dreams and stupid things that mean the world and then with Lost in the Ghost Light, I investigated that story and, and that theme, if you like, the eulogy for the music industry, the eulogy for the album, came to its fullest fruition, I think, on the album. Um, and one song actually on Flowers at the Scene, I think is almost connected. There's a track called The War on Me. And I realized after I'd written it that that actually would have fitted in very nicely with the themes of Lost in the Ghost Light, if not um, the musical nature of that album. Mm. You and I have spoken in the past, and uh, I think you probably know that I'm like a big fan of Stephen Bennett. I, I love his work. Um, I love what he has brought to you know your past solo albums. I'm not seeing anywhere in the uh, the bio material that we've gotten uh, that he's involved. Is he around this time? He's not on this album, no. I mean, we're still in contact, and we still work together regularly. He's a member of my live band, but this album... Uh, just kind of emerged from a different place, really. And that was kind of exciting because it kind of felt like um, a reset of sorts. But the, the interesting thing about Stephen is that um, I'm sure he won't mind me telling you, but he's now 60 and he's got a one-year-old child. And so it's the, it the first time he's had um, a child. In fact, I think both of us had children at a later stage. I was, I was slightly younger in my mid-40s, but um, I think that's also become quite a pressing issue as you can imagine so i think it's more sort of diapers than cork since these days <laughs> especially that yeah that's a that's a neat age to to have a, a first child and i'm sure he's completely absorbed so uh, absolutely yeah yeah well good i'm glad he's still part of your live band oh yeah no i mean this is, there's been no falling out and we're still in regular contact who were your co-writers who were your some of the people that you bounced things off of this time around well, the main sort of collaborator on this, if you like, my main sounding board was um, Brian Hulse. And, and what was kind of interesting is that I'd replaced a 60-year-old Lancastrian with a 60-year-old Lancastrian. So, <laughs> As you do. <laughs> absolutely. You know, I looked on eBay for one, and, and they're not, you know, easy to find, but I found one. Yeah, Brian was somebody I, I, I've worked with before. Um, I worked with Steve Wilson in No Man. So he was somebody who was, was probably my, you know, real creative partner in the 80s when I first started making music. And we got together again about two years ago to 
re-recorded a lot of the songs that we'd written in the in the 1980s and um, it was a tremendously energizing time because I think that as much as you progress as an artist you sometimes lose things as an artist and what was um, wonderful about going back to these songs is that um, I reclaimed certain ways of writing certain ways of singing and and of course when re-recording them it had the benefits of hindsight it had the benefit of 30 years of musical experience and and of course I'd changed things if I was uncomfortable with them lyrically so it was creative in the sense that the music was evolving but it was also creative in that something from my past informed my present and we enjoyed the process of making uh, the album a great deal so much so that we just continued writing and and there are distinct differences um, in that with abandoned dancehall dreams and stupid things that mean the world as with no man's um, school your ghosts i'd written a lot of the music as well as the lyrics and vocal melodies um, whereas with lost in the ghost light that perhaps had more of a stephen bennett influence than the other albums although the concept and the the guiding production was from my side um, Stephen was quite essential there because his musical vocabulary is very different from mine mm. and because with the the concept of Lost in the Ghost Light I particularly wanted to investigate certain types of music that inspired me when I first started listening to music when I was in my early teens and Stephen was just um, ideal for that and I, and I felt that, that what happened is with Abandoned Nezzle Dreams and Sweet Old Ghost a lot of the musical ideas as well as production ideas came from me, but with Lost in the Ghost Light, although I guided the project, he was essential in the sense that I could say, okay, what I'm after is this. And he had the musical know-how to do that. And that was the fulfillment of, as I say, an idea and a project that I'd had in mind probably for about 10 years, really. I think I'd wanted to write about that character and perhaps immerse myself in that particular type of music. And it felt like a conclusion. It was always a one-off, whereas perhaps Abandoned Dental Dreams and Stupid Things were more reflective of some of my more experimental musical ideas. Um, with this, I just continued writing um, with Brian, and, and even though it was a sort of 31-year absence, it felt like we were going somewhere fresh, and it felt as if something new was emerging. Um, and that's what I wanted. I didn't want to make a Lost in the Ghost Light Two and Lost in the Ghost Light um, certainly wasn't the stupid things to on Abandoned Dental Dreams too. So um, it was as much that we were buoyed by enthusiasm that when pieces like Not Married Anymore emerged, it just suggested we keep on writing, and we did. And um, and an album kind of appeared um, in a very different way from the last few albums because Abandoned Dental Dreams I'd originally written um, as a follow-up to School Your Ghost, and that in a way was put together the way School of Ghost was in that um, I'd written a lot of tracks and I'd co-written a few tracks and I'd brought them to Stephen and Stephen then rewrote certain elements or um, produced them in a different way from how I would. Um, and Abandoned Dancehall Dreams originally started off as, as an album of pieces that I'd presented to Stephen as the possibility of a, of a follow-up to School of Ghost. But, but at the time he was very busy with the Raven album and suggested that um, he mix it instead. And, and, and I was glad he did because I mean, it gave me the confidence to develop solo music and Stupid Things was born out of the enthusiastic response I got for Band and Dancehall Dreams and uh, albums come about in different ways and, and sometimes albums are 
direct continuation. So although Lost in the Ghost Light was quite different, because obviously uh, Stephen Bennett was more involved in the musical writing of that album, um, it was also similar in the sense it felt like it was continuing certain lyrical themes that were hinted at on No Man's World Opera, on Abandoned Dance with Dreams and Stupid Things. And musically, it felt as if we were exploring um, the vocabulary that we'd used on a track like Spiral 52. It was almost like, okay, an album-length exploration of that style of music. But once it had been done, because you always find that, that albums are continuations and expansions, or they're complete um, about turns, and this felt like a com complete about turn, both in terms of how the music was written and in terms of the people I worked with. That's yeah, that that's fascinating, and it sort of, you know, not only speaks about the new album, but the kind of arc of continuity that kind of runs through all your stuff. There's a certain way you do things, right? Uh, I, it's not predictable, but it's reliable. Yet mm -hmm. every single step, there always seems to be some new nuance or new infusion in the current album that adds or builds on to what came before and is a little bit of a different twist than what's before. It's just dances on this line of like, we kind of know what we're getting from Tim. We love this sort of, I'll just call it art rock for lack mm -hmm. of a better term. Uh, yet, what what are the surprises? Like, where are the th hidden corners and how are they going to appear? You know, that when what you've just said kind of speaks to all that for me. I don't know if I'm well, off the I mark think, here. No, I, I think I think you're right. And I, and I think that to say it, it goes two ways. You know, the one way is that you expand upon what you've done before. So it's different in that way and that you're investigating it far more intimately in more detail. I mean, I always think it happened with No Man, that with our early work, that we, we built up to Flower Mouth. And Flower Mouth was a very lush and expansive album. And so the next album consisted of experiments. Stephen and I basically gave ourselves an hour to write a complete piece of music uh, using entirely different instrumentation from how we've done it before to keep things interesting. So I think that you always find that it's a case of, you know, this wonderful building. And, and it felt with my Inside Out albums, with the three albums um, prior to this, that it had built up to Lost in the Ghost Light. And Lost in the Ghost Light was different because it was a much more detailed and expansive version of what aspects of the previous two albums had hinted at. And the only way to go is once you've built Edifice is to knock it down. And I think that this was starting again. And I guess because of the quality of my voice and my lyrical obsessions, there are always going to be continuities. So of course there are continuities on this album, but I do think that a lot of the playing is quite different. I think a few of the ideas are quite different. And um, Agreed. You know, and, and again with this album, I think lyrically it, it brought something fresh out of me. And, and I guess you, every single album comes out of being excited by the album. And it is, you know, no exception this time that I think I, I was about five songs into to this and I thought, this is happening. This is the new album. This is the new direction. And from that point onwards, you start to build towards completing that because it almost becomes some kind of overwhelming obsession that you've started and you must finish. But, but also because you, you've got that kind of creative buzz because you're excited because it's, it's either taking you somewhere new through being an expansion of what you've done before or taking you somewhere new because it's kind of destroyed what's gone before. And that's part one of our talk with Tim Bonus about Flowers at the Scene. Join us for part two when we'll discuss the many guest performances featured on the album.